Welcome, welcome, welcome to our friends across the country, our friends across the world. I noticed that we have three people who are joining us today from Hong Kong. Welcome, Hong Kong. Welcome, everyone. You are now a part of the Kemp community and of the Kemp Cafe. We don't ever give up. Thank you for joining us and thank you for persevering in your own work that you do. Does it feel to some of us like we might be in the middle of two co-occurring pandemics? Coronavirus and racial injustice? One of those pandemics is new to us and the other has had centuries to spread and even kill. If your heart is heavy now, if you started to wonder if Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was right when he said the arc of history is long, but it bends for justice, allow me to invite you to consider that we in the helping professions, whether you are a social worker or a judge or an attorney or a nurse or an educator or whatever role you may have, we all have an opportunity to make history one case at a time. A just history where we respect, we respect not only the rights, but the humanity of every individual that we serve. We can build a more just world when we think of no person as other, as less, as undeserving of our love, when we don't ever give up. And to help us do that today, we're all blessed right now to get to know three amazing people, Tony, Dawn, and Gail. We're gonna learn about all three of them as our story unfolds, but for now, let's just start by seeing their faces and hearing their voices. Tony, would you like to start us off and say hello to everyone? Good morning or afternoon, depending on where you are. My name is Tony Miner, and I am happy to be here, and I am thrilled that all of you are here to join us as well. Thank you. Dawn, would you like to say hello? Hi, I'm Dawn. I don't know what else I'm supposed to say. <laughs> uh, I know Tony. You need to say. Thank you for being here, Dawn. Absolutely. And Gail Meinster. Good morning or good afternoon. Hello to everyone. Thank you all for joining us. My name is Gail Meinster. I'm in Golden, Colorado, and I'm really looking forward to this conversation. And thank Fantastic. you all of you for all the work you're out there doing. Fantastic. Thank you everyone for being here. And I'd like to turn, could we turn first to Tony Miner? Tony, good morning. Good morning, how are you? Thanks for being here and thanks for being willing to share your experience. And I can't help but notice right off the bat, Tony, someone just laid their head on your shoulder. You want to introduce us to your staff assistant there? Sure, my staff assistant this morning is Haven and he is my 11-year-old grandson who I am the legal guardian of. Fantastic, everybody want to wave and say hi to him. He's getting waves from all over the world right now. Hong Kong on the call. Really? Yeah. That's crazy. That's crazy, he said. <laughs> we are all a little crazy. So thank you, Tony, for being with us. Tony, you want to start us off by just telling us, what do you do for a living? 
So I work for Jefferson County Human Services as the family support partner, and I also facilitate circle of parents and recovery groups. Um, right now we're doing everything online. I have a Jeffco group that I do in person and can't wait to start doing that. And I also do um, our state recovery groups as well as national work that I do with Casey Family Programs. I belong to a birth parent advisory committee with them as well and um, have done quite a bit of national speaking. Fantastic. And do you have something to do with this family integrated treatment thing? I do. I actually work in um, the court on Thursdays and um, support the parents that are going through fit court. And, and what are they doing, those parents who are going through what we call fit court? What is that about? So the parents are trying to learn how to parent safely with a substance use disorder. Um, that is their primary concern for, their, for them becoming involved with fit court. And so they've got substance abuse challenges that have related to their children being removed, is that it? Yes, that's correct. How did you end up doing this? So I am. You seem smart, you seem articulate. You could have gotten lots of jobs. How did you end up doing that of all things? So I am a parent in recovery. Um, I celebrated 18 years of being clean January of this year. And um, I have been very graciously invited by our lovely judge to go and support the families that are going through fit court because we have learned that um, parents can be much more successful when they have a peer that has been through what they've been through to help guide them. When did, let's ask you, when did you first meet Gail? When did you first meet Gail Meinster? I want to say I first met her in 2009, 2010. She was actually a guardian ad litem working in fit court at the time. And she was the guardian ad litem on a case that I was supporting. Sorry, I didn't know that. <laughs> and what did, you, what did you come to know about Gail? So she was a guardian ad litem, was she? Yes, yes, she was. What did you learn? How did she operate? What did you learn about Gail Meister? Well, I liked her from the get-go because she seemed to care a lot about the family, um, which is something that is so needed. Even back in 2009, when I started doing this work, um, we all too often focus on just the children when we should be focusing on the family as a whole. And I really believe that she did that, even being a guardian ad litem. So when you were a parent going through your journey, when you were a parent going through your journey, uh, was there a fit court then? What was it like for you? Were people paying attention to you? So I have had many involvements within the child welfare system myself um, with my two now adult daughters um, and now coming around um, being the legal guardian for my grandchildren. And there was nothing like this when I was going through it. And I did not feel like I was heard. Um, I felt like we were speaking completely different languages 
and um, that everything was very cookie cutter and that it was, we're gonna demand that you do this and you have to do this and you have to be very spotless while you do this. That sounds like a very kind of compliance-based system. Absolutely. So how did you survive that? Did you get your kids back? How did you survive that? I did get my kids back. Um, I, I got clean. I did get my kids back. And um, I actually had a lot of community support at the time and had an amazing probation officer because I got in legal trouble as well. Um, and the probation officer is in Jefferson County and she her and the caseworker that I wound up getting at the time both saw something in me that I did not see in myself. And I really believe that they helped me to be successful today. They saw something in you that you didn't see in yourself. What did they see? Um, perseverance. They saw hope. I think that they saw the light in me that I could not see within myself at that time. And it's something that I actually tell parents when I work with them now that they need to find their light and um, they usually wind up finding that their light is them. How powerful is that? And someone's I, been asking, what, what is this thing that we call FIT Court? It stands for Family Integrated Treatment Court, doesn't it? And yes, people, it does. Yeah, people may have heard things uh, like dependency drug court, family drug treatment court, family treatment court. This particular model is family integrated treatment court. Then when you went through your journey, how did you go from there to doing this for a living? So I really um, started to see different things and it came to me in threes. My um, they were looking, we had a parent partner program happening in Jefferson County and um, I saw it on the news and then I had my granddaughter's preschool director that was like, oh my goodness, you should try this. And then my old probation officer called me and said, Tony, did you hear about this? I think that you need to apply for this because this would be such a great job for you. You would be just phenomenal at it. And so I went and interviewed and actually through the parent partner program that we had in Jefferson County at the time started supporting families in that way. So when you started doing that work, what did you learn? You've been through your own journey by that point, but were there things that surprised you? What did you learn after you had done that for a year or two? What did you know that you didn't know at the start? I learned that families' voices were starting to be valued more so than I had ever seen in my life. I also learned that we still, even today, have a lot of work that we need to do within our child welfare system um, to better support families. So then when did you first meet Dawn? Ooh, I met Dawn when, and I can't remember the year, she would have to tell you that, but I met Dawn when she was going through fit court as a client. Do you recall the moment? Was it in court? Was it in a hallway? Where was it? It was in the hallway. Um, actually, someone on her team had asked me if I would be willing to go and speak with her because she was really struggling. And I see Dawn laughing about it now. I see Dawn laughing out loud about it now. What did you think of Dawn? <laughs> 
What did you, you took a look at her, you had heard about her. What was your first thoughts about Dawn? My heart was breaking for her because I had been exactly where she was before. And when I first met her, she was under the influence still, and she was so lost. And, and I'm going to try to get through this without crying because I'm very passionate about the work that I do and about the parents that I get to support. And um, Dawn kept giving up on herself. And I kept telling her that I wasn't going anywhere and that if she needed strength, that I would be there to walk alongside her, to help her, to hold her up, to do whatever she needed to help get her to where she needed to be so that she could parent her children again. So you're volunteering to be somebody else's strength. That sounds hard. Does that work every time for you? Have you had cases as a worker where you have given up? Um, I don't think I've ever given up, but I can say that when I first started doing this work, I very much internalized every single parent that I worked with. And if the parent wasn't successful, I took that very personal. Um, I felt like it was a failure on my part. And I, I have a lot of supports in my life that I used and that I continue to use um, because it's hard not to. And I'm sure that any judge, any social worker, any attorney out there that's working with a family probably feels a lot like that as well, that they wind up feeling like they failed the family because the family was not ready, because the family or the parent had not hit bottom and they were not ready to move forward with it. Does that answer your question, Kendall? It does. Okay. It does. And when you're thinking of those attorneys and judges, what was occurring to me was, if you were to talk to, let's say there's a judge on this call who gets intrigued by this approach, uh, you're not an attorney or a judge. You're a social worker and, and you're a helper in people's lives. What would you say to a judge who is considering this approach? To lose their bias, to be open-minded, and to remember why they got into this work to begin with. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. We're not done with Tony. <laughs> but we're going to ask Dawn now. Dawn, who did you meet first? Did you meet Gail first or Tony? I, I want to say maybe it was Judge Meinster, but, you know, I was kind of not in a very, I don't remember a lot then. I was not okay. Um, I remember Tony trying to come up to me, and I kind of disregarded her to the best of my ability, but she's, um, she, she was persistent, and, and, you know, I had to go through things, but um, I... I don't know which one I met first. Interesting. So what did you, as you got to know Tony, what did you think of her? So you tried to just discount her at first, but she didn't go away. I did thought, sorry. I thought she couldn't possibly understand what I was going through and <laughs> um, <laughs> which, you know, you, you kind of, 
just are right there when you're not okay um, within yourself because of what you're doing. When did you, did there come a point where you realized what your challenge was? How did you get to the point, let me say this, I'm imagining that you first had to get to a point where you realized the situation that you were in and the challenge that was before you. Um, what do you mean, like? When did, uh, when, did you, when did you when did you first say to yourself, "I know what I've got to do here"? Um, geez, it, I it took me a long time to get through the orientation phase of um, fit. I only had to be clean for like 30 days. I couldn't do it. I think that took a good three, maybe more months. Um, and it took being homeless and just totally down on my luck. And then hearing my kids cry to me and <laughs> yeah, it took a lot. I mean, you know, it took some time, but I figured it out. I had to go through a lot of IOP and um, IOP is intensive outpatient what is it? <laughs> it's outpatient something. Yeah. Yeah, outpatient therapy. Yeah. I was like, wait a minute. Um, and uh, I think that that was probably one of the best things that happened to me was IOP. Um, it what it let me dig deeper within myself to find me. And I was going to ask you about your relationship with yourself through that time. What was your relationship with yourself when this started? Oh gosh. I had been in a marriage with a man that demeaned me and made me feel like the lowest piece of whatever. And I didn't have any faith in myself. I didn't think that I could do anything. <laughs> I called myself down numerous occasions and I had to had to come and realize that um that I could get through this and that I could be a better person and um it took a lot you know but I got yeah what what kept you going what kept you going my children I th wow. think my children and and just not wanting to just um, exist. I wanted to live. I would like to turn Casey. Could we ask the 200 some folks on this right now, if there's one thing that they'd like to share, there's one thing that they'd like to say to Dawn right now, what would it be? And put that in the chat box. If there's one thing that you could say to Dawn one-on-one -on -one right now, what would it be? And go ahead and put that right into the chat box right now. And Casey, you wanna share what you're seeing there? Dawn, could you see those? Yeah, they're going really fast. <laughs> you can scroll up on the right, Dawn, so that you can read them all in one at a time. I'll just give you a taste. Um, thank you so much for sharing with us the words of your heart. Bravo. You are incredible exactly as you are. 
I love you, Don. You're doing a great job. You are enough. You are an inspiration. I'm very proud of you, and I hope you're proud of yourself. You are so brave. You are worthy of love. You are an amazing person. Thank you for being brave and vulnerable. Sharing your story with us is very powerful. You are incredible and resilient. You are incredible and strong. You are awesome. You are amazing. Thank you, everyone. Breathe it in, Don. <laughs> so Don, I think we want to know more about your kids. How many kids? Tell us a little bit about your kids. And then we're curious, so how did your relationship with them go? Because I noticed when we talk about family integrated treatment, we talk sometimes about healing the relationship between parent and their children. So how did that happen for you? Um, I remember going to the Betty Ford program and having to really um, hear my children tell me a lot of things about myself and you know how they felt and that really struck a serious chord. I have four children, um, three girls, 18, 14, and 10, and a little boy who's seven. Um, they are just amazing children and um, I want to say that um, my perseverance through everything that I've gone through and having gotten um, myself out of a very toxic um, relationship, um, which um, just led me down a wrong, very bad path um, that I was trying to escape, um, that I was able to help my daughter who's been in a relationship with a man who's constantly called her down and I have helped her to kind of, I, I gave it all to her and I let her do it, but I was able to kind of help guide her to kind of realize her worth. And she's, she seems like such a better person. And I am just so super proud of, of her. And I'm proud of myself for having got to that point that I could be that voice to help her and hopefully more. Beautiful. Thank you for that. So what would you say to a caseworker, Dawn? What would you say to a caseworker or a supervisor or an administrator, the folks who run our child welfare systems, the folks who run out and respond when we get a hotline call, who intervene in the lives of families? What have you learned? What have you learned? that every case worker needs to know. Oh gosh. Um, it, it's easier when they have a understanding of what's going on in our heads and what we're going through because that is like the hardest part of getting yourself on the right track is getting down to the nitty gritty as they say um, to what is really the issue and some people are just doing drugs to just do drugs they're they're doing it to escape from their brains from their from their thoughts thank you for that thank you so back to your relationships with these two crazy people these friends of yours 
you've talked a little bit about Tony. When was the first time that you could remember talking with Gail? Oh God, you know, the I remember talking to Judge Meinster and um, I was, I was trying to say that I didn't have a problem that I could get through this. And all I can remember doing was scratching my arms. Like I, I had sores on my arms and, and I was just, I mean, like deny, deny, deny. And, and I, it, <laughs> and now that I think back, I, yeah, that was crazy, but. <laughs> so and what did she say? What did, how did she react when you were being that way? She's a very understanding woman. Um, she's awesome. I, at the beginning of everything, I did not like anybody. I didn't like him, any of them. And I didn't want to <laughs> talk to you. I didn't want to be there. But in the end, I can say that um, this has been probably one of the best things to, um, to happen uh, to me. Um, because I don't think that I would be who I am today without having gone through what I've gone through. Um, so I'm very thankful and for her understanding that, you know, each person has their own struggle and both of them, they're, they're great. <laughs> were you, were you always an easy client to be dealing with? Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> Tony, no. <laughs> I want to cut back to Tony here for a quick second, because man, Tony started shaking her head no right away with that, Dawn. Uh, Tony, Dawn seems to be as sweet as can be to all of us. Uh, talk to us. What was it like? Uh, she was very avoidant, um, and I did not give up on her, and I kept getting in her space and in her bubble. And she would do everything that she could to ignore me and avoid me and tell me that she wasn't high and give me every excuse that she could. And I would tell her, you know what, I'll just come back and talk to you when you're ready. And each time I saw her, I would be like, how's it going? Do you remember who I am? And sometimes I would get a yes. And sometimes I'd get a, uh, <laughs> um, or she would just sit there on her phone and do whatever she could to ignore me. And um, I would just be like, are you ready to talk to me yet? And sometimes I'd get an answer and sometimes she would just ignore me and I would tell her, okay, I'll come back and talk to you again when you're ready. Um, and yes, she, now that, now that Dawn is healing, she is finally the person that she was meant to be. What a beautiful thing. I'd like to invite everyone to pop into the chat box one more time and say what you'd like to say to Tony. There's one thing that you'd want to say to Tony right now. What would it be? Pop that into the chat box and Casey's going to let us know if anybody has anything to say. You see those, Tony? Now, Tony, it'll be my turn to try not to cry. I so admire you for your excellent work, Tony. Thank you for never giving up on Dawn. What an amazing support you were, and you're so incredibly patient. You are an amazing woman. I'm so glad to have you in my life. What an inspiration. Thank you for your dedication. Your work with families is an inspiration. What a great relationship you created with Don, Tony. Thank you for your 
parents. You are selfless and amazing. You saved a life and a family. And you can scroll through because they're still coming in. <laughs> and thank you, Dawn, for inspiring us to thank Tony like that. Now we'd like to turn to this Gail person. <laughs> and did anybody catch that she was called a judge a couple times? Uh, Gail Meinster. Uh, Tell us, Gail, what do you do for a living? Well, I have the honor and the privilege of being the juvenile judge in the first judicial district in Colorado. How did you end up doing that? Did you get promoted from tax court or what happened? <laughs> no, I, I, I've been in the child welfare field my entire career. I was a guardian ad litem for over 20 years. I represented parents. I was a county attorney. Um, this is this is all I've ever done, and it's what I love. So let's go back for a second to when you were a guardian ad litem. When you first started doing that work, when you very first started, what was your perspective towards parents? You know, as a guardian ad litem, I think you you start out being very child focused, and and that's important to maintain that. And after years in this field, I think you start to see that what we've done traditionally hasn't worked. Um, the system is no place to raise a child. Children belong in families. And the more I had the privilege of interacting with parents and understanding that everybody has a story and that by, by far the majority of the parents that I've worked with and met love their children, some aren't able to overcome, despite their best efforts, the challenges that they have. But with the proper approach and treatment and the right response from the system, they can parent their children safely. Then when you became a judge, how did you get involved then in this family integrated treatment model? Was that already there? How did that happen? It was there for about six weeks while I was a guardian ad litem, and then I was fortunate enough to be um, appointed as a magistrate and got to be the magistrate for fit court. And then after two and a half years, when I became the juvenile judge, um, they let me keep the, the fit court. And so I've been doing that for almost 12 years. And it sounds like when you say they let you keep it, this is something you could have given up. Yes. But you didn't, why? No, <laughs> they couldn't have pried it from me. Um, I love it, I believe passionately in it. I went through years of participating in the system where we saw parents once every three months uh, and seldom were successful. And I see that this works. Um, just a little bit of context about what a, a treatment court is, is a special approach to a dependency case where we screen people right away, identify substance use as a primary presenting problem. Parents have the opportunity to opt into the program. It's very intensive. It is a phase-based. We make an effort to get parents into the right level of treatment right away. It's a multidisciplinary approach where the team does a lot of training. We staff every case and the judge is present for the staffings. They come every week for a while. 
Um, it is a wraparound approach and a very holistic approach where we're treating not just the child, but the family. We recognize you have to treat the whole family. And, and it's an approach, that I, and I want to say that that is effective, not, not just for the select families in fit court who are generally our high risk, high need. And I see another little guy has yeah, let's let's take a second and just meet somebody. Don, who's yeah. wriggling on your lap? <laughs> this is my little boy. He's he's saying he's super tired, but <laughs> and then here's my daughter, my eighteen-year-old. Oh, look at! Can we wave? Can we wave? Hey, little guy. How you doing? And now there's a sister too. And what's her sister's name? Caitlin. Caitlin, how you doing? Good. So Caitlin, do you want to say something to 200 people across the entire world? Sure. <laughs> she doesn't know what to say. I don't know. Well, we're all happy to see you. Thank I don't you think she totally here. understands what I'm here for. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you for joining us, both of you. You're welcome. Gail, what you just described, Gail, sounds to us like what we should be doing every time, right? In any child welfare case? That's right. That's, I think that's what I was saying, is it's a model that is effective, not just for the high-risk kind need, but for any family where substance use is an issue. Getting them to the right level of treatment as soon as possible, the right level of judicial intervention, and a multidisciplinary team that wraps around them. So why does it work? Do you just have more resources? Why does it work when we still no, we, fail with our traditional model? We really don't have more resources. I think it's a philosophy and an approach. It's a multidisciplinary team. It's the um, parents having the opportunity to develop a relationship with their team members and with the judicial officer. It's the judge talking directly to the parent and not at them through an attorney. Let's turn back to Dawn now. And when, Gail, did you for, first off, are we allowed to call you Gail? Or do we have call to? Me, absolutely, absolutely. Whatever you're comfortable with. Uh, Dawn, let me ask you this. Have you ever called her Gail or do you call her Your Honor? I call her Judge Meinster. I've uh -huh. called her Your Honor, I don't think. I don't know that I have. Um, but she's always been Judge Meinster to me. I don't know that I can get past that. <laughs> Tony, Tony, let me ask you. If you go out to coffee with Gail and you you bring her your coffee, her coffee, you know, from the, the counter, uh, as do two of you sit down, do you say, here's your coffee, Your Honor? I, I call her Judge. I've always called her judge. And when we have been on a more personal level, she's like, call me Gail. I'm like, you're judge. And that's what I will always call her out of respect for her. And Gail, I want to examine that for a second. Because your humanity, your generosity, your open heart is so evident. But isn't it true also that when you're sitting in that chair, you're on a raised platform, aren't you, in the courtroom? Aren't you sitting a little bit higher than everybody else? Yes. Isn't there, isn't there a power differential going on there? How do you reach past that 
and reach someone like Dawn as a human being? I think you, I, I reach her, you know, I'm not just a judge when I'm there. I'm, I'm a mother um, and I'm somebody who cares about children and families. And it's, it's easy to, I mean, if you listen to Dawn, listen to Tony, how do you not love them? Um, they are wonderful human beings. I always feel like people who walk through my courtroom for the most part have been beat up by life pretty badly before I meet them. They don't need me to beat them up. Um, they do need me to um, treat them with respect and dignity. They deserve that, to, to give them every chance and to hold them accountable when it's, when it's necessary. That's part of recovery. I wanna share something along those lines though that I heard about what you want, Gail. I was giving a training and a couple of workers from your county said in the middle of a training, we saw our judge hug the parents. Is that okay? Is it okay for judges to root for an outcome? I thought you were supposed to be impartial arbiters. No, I'm rooting for an outcome. I'm rooting for the best interest of those children. And if that, my first choice is always that they go home. That's not always possible. And is it appropriate to hug them um, before COVID? Yes. Uh, I, I generally come off the bench and, you know, I get the opportunity to hug the parent and interact with them. I usually have one of my dogs with me that I'd bring to court. Those were the good old days before COVID. But it sounds like as you're talking and also, don't you have something in your courtroom called a fishbowl? You have something called the big deal board. A family you, treatment uh, courts are, are based on, we have, it's a drug court model. So we do have incentives and we used to call them sanctions. We, we call them responses now. We try to respond therapeutically to what a parent's performance was on any given week. but. Uh, rocket docket is when they did everything they needed to do and tested clean all week and they're called first on the docket. Big deal board is when they hit a milestone and we give out gift cards and we generally have some, we have food in the courtroom. So it, it is a very different experience. Um, there are there are professionals who don't um, support it or feel comfortable with it. I, I think it's very effective and the right thing to do for our families. It sounds, and, and this is, uh, sounds almost sacrilegious to think of it in the, in the context of substance abuse treatment and a child welfare case. It sounds like you actually have fun. Is that allowed? Are you, are you gonna get in trouble someday? Is some uh, judge gonna walk in and get you in trouble because people are laughing and hugging each other and spinning wheels and getting prizes? Um, yeah, I've been subject to criticism, but for the most part, fortunately, I work in a jurisdiction where my chief judge has been very supportive. Uh, the, the judge who started the FIT Court is actually on the Supreme Court right now in Colorado. That's a nice support to have. Um, it, I think it's a model that it, there are now over 500 family treatment courts in the country. Um, they are gaining recognition and credibility. We've had the tremendous support of uh, for people who are interested in this model of children and family futures out of uh, 
out of California. They provided technical assistance to us and, and helped us become more um, best practice oriented and evidence-based. I think we have Burke O'Byrne, senior associate from CFF is on, on the call today and can supply some resources, so. Yeah, let's, let's talk resources for a quick second. So all of you received uh, something called the Bit Court Handbook, the Family Integrated Treatment Court Handbook. That is the resource that comes out of Gail's courtroom and Tony and Gail's work uh, in Colorado. You also have a resource called the Family Treatment Court Planning Guide. And that is meant to be a national level resource that comes from the National Drug Court Institute. And then also, as Gail mentioned, from the Center for Children and Family Futures. Again, this is the Family Treatment Court planning guide. And Brooke O'Byrne from Center for Children and Family Futures is on the call. Brooke, are you with us right this second? There she is in the chat box. Uh, you want to hop off mute, Brooke, and just talk to us a quick second about what you and your organization, uh, what you do to support all this. Yes, absolutely. Hi, everyone. Um, good morning, good afternoon, good very early morning for those. It looks like those in Hong Kong is 1 a.m. <laughs> um, but yeah, so our organization works with family treatment courts all over the globe. Um, most of our sites are in the United States, um, but we help teams who are just getting started. Uh, we work with established teams and we also work with criminal justice teams that want to become more family centered. And we come in and um, we help teams uh, take a closer look at their goals, take a closer look at their their data to understand how they're performing. And then we come in with resources to, the, to help teams develop stronger practice to improve outcomes for families. Uh, we have a very strong focus on um, holistic family-centered approach. So when we work with teams, we are not exclusively interested in just talking about parent needs, we're talking about whole family needs. So that includes kinship providers, children. Um, we wanna look at the, the whole family. And again, Brooke, you are the Center for Children and Family Futures, right? And you've put your contact and resource information into the chat box there? That is correct. I can't remember how much I put in so far. I, might, I have an email that I'm going to drop in so that if anyone would like to request uh, technical assistance from our team, you can email that address and let us know what your questions are. We range from, I mean, people send us an email with just one question. Some people email us requesting um, a list of resources and other teams want to work with us to do some more concentrated technical assistance. So, um, so that's ongoing. And so I'll share that email address. You can also request to be on our list serve. So we send out announcements um, as, as we become aware of them. So trainings that might be beneficial, updates from Children's Bureau, things like that. Fantastic. And so there are people out there. Thank you, Brooke. Thank you very much for that. There are people out there that can support you if you see some value in this approach and you want to use it. And can you see how Judge Gail Meinster has taken that model but has also made it her own, right? Uh, and there's a tremendous opportunity, I think, there uh, to really make this your own. And, and make it what's going to work for you and, and your community. 
Gail, I'd like to turn us back to Dawn's story and talk to us about your journey with Dawn. Dawn has indicated she might not have been uh, the person you were actually looking forward to seeing earlier in her case. Uh, what was your experience of her? You know, I, I'm going to I'm going to talk right to Dawn because that's that's the conversation I'm used to having. And Dawn, I remember the first day you walked in, and I remember um, that you were never really you weren't really difficult with me, maybe a little bit stubborn, but you were pretty broken and pretty desperate and so hopeless and very, um, you know, I listen to you now and listen to you talk about your family and your life. You were very, very soft-spoken and you didn't speak up, um, but there was something in you that kept coming back even those first few months when you would not listen to us and do what we told you you should do. I remember when we recommended inpatient for you and we had the bed and everything and I was expecting you to be an inpatient and you showed up in court that week and you said to me, I decided not to do inpatient. I'm going to do it my way. I can do better if I do outpatient. And I thought to myself, we're going to lose her. Um, you had such a serious addiction and such incredible life consequences. And you showed, you proved us all wrong. You did it. You reached a point where you wanted to live. And I, I know it was your children that motivated you. And I remember how you just step by step, you got days of sobriety and you finished treatment. And then you really started to grow and blossom into the amazing woman you are. And I, you, your case stayed open quite a long time. And that's a good thing sometimes. That was, it stayed open because you were willing to continue to address not just sobriety. That was the first step for you. But then you really learned to live life on life's terms. And you had the courage to deal with your relationship. You lived with your children in one motel room for months. I don't know how you did that. And you had all sorts of barriers with finances and with your husband trying to get back into things and, and creating chaos. And you developed the strength to address all those issues. And now, I don't know how many years now you have, but I know it's a number of years. And I watch how you, three? I watch how you continue to show up at Circle of Parents and how you, you have a recovery-based life and you give back to parents who are in your situation. And I know you draw strength from that and your children are beautiful and amazing and you're just, an amazing mother and woman, and I am just so incredibly proud of you. I'd like to invite everyone now to pop into the chat box. If there was one thing that you want to say to Judge Ann Gail Meinster, what would it be? Pop that into the chat box. One thing you'd like to say to Gail. And Casey's going to amplify some of these. Thank you, Kendall. What an honor for me to get to read these words, Your Honor, to you. 
um, oh, um, <laughs> we need more of you. I am inspired. Thank you for saving the children and families of Jefferson County. Thank you for valuing survivors. Thank you for your caring and compassionate heart. We need more judges like you, more like you, more like you, please. We're so glad to know that you are there. Thank you on behalf of all of the children and families in the world. We need more of you. How about that? How about that? I, I appreciate that. I have to say I am a very small part of what happens and that it is an honor and a privilege to do the work and it is, it's truly humbling. Let me ask you, Gail, if we're motivated to try and do more of this kind of work, whether it's around an issue of substance abuse or other ways in which our child welfare process can be more humane, more just, sometimes we're lucky and we get a Gail Meinster, but it can feel sometimes like we have these incredible champions here and there around the country, around the world. How do us ordinary people do what you did? And, and you're humble about your work and we appreciate that about you. But how does someone who hasn't had all these insights, who just has this idea of this is something maybe I could make happen, how do they go about making it happen? You did it. I don't, I don't feel like I've done anything very special. Um, I've been privileged to have opportunities. You know, you just get up every day and I get up every day and say, we can do better. And everybody does their part and tries not to be judgmental. Um, I always feel I've got enough of my own faults to work on. I don't need to worry about judging anybody else and treat people with respect and dignity. Everyone Just, hear that? So what I'd now like to invite us to do is in the waiting room, those of you who are waiting in the waiting room a bit before you came to join this cafe, you're asked to think about your own work and how you build justice for your clients how you create a more just world for your clients, how you build a more just history in our society through your work in each and every, one, every case. I'm gonna invite folks, just as a closing message here to all of us, and then Casey, I'm gonna ask you as well to pick out some of these and amplify some of these. What can you do in your work? Every one of us has different roles. What can you do in your work starting today to create justice for the people you serve? What can you do starting today to set things right, create a more just world for the people you serve starting today? I want to invite everyone to pop that into the chat box. And let's share some of that with each other. Be curious, not just complacent. 
don't assume provide respect and dignity for all listen be perseverant hold humble curiosity more listening less talking supporting more opportunities with parent partners always assume positive intent first give people a safe space to share and grow recognize the power of peer support remember how human we all are be that understanding ear for anyone who needs it start with yourself know your biases and know your impact i'm always learning the more i learn the less i know listen and support give patience and respect know that everybody's path is individual have hope show respect and don't settle for what's happening right now. Keep being there. And as Judge Meinster said, wake up every day and tell yourself, I can do better. We can do better. Thank you all for all of those as they continue to pour in. Thank you for being a part of this. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said that power at its best is love implementing the demands of justice. Power at its best is love implementing the demands of justice. We in the helping professions have tremendous power. Uh, let's use that to express our love and bring justice to the people that we serve. Could I see a final round of applause for Gail, for Tony, and Dawn, thank you so much for sharing with us. Thank you all. Thank you all. You've been a tremendous, tremendous inspiration. Thank you all for joining me. Uh, you will see me again. as we explore how we can create a more just world through the work that all of us do all across the planet.